0: Hello, it is 10th of March 2018, and this is episode 61 of Scavenger's Horde, a Star Wars podcast. I'm Rachel.
1: And I'm Kirsty.
0: We're here to deliver a regular rundown of Star Wars news, analysis, and commentary, with a focus on the sequel trilogy and the future of the saga. So, Kirsty, how has your week in Star Wars been?
1: There's been a lot of Star Wars this week.
0: Yes. Almost absolutely. too much. <laughs> yeah, it gets a bit overwhelming, doesn't it? Past a certain point. It's yeah.
1: Like, oh. I had a few days where I was like reading both novelizations, catching up with rebels, talking with everyone about this stuff, and I was like, okay, I need a break. There's yeah, a lot. So... I need a
0: vacation from fandom. <laughs> <laughs> it's stressing me out. This thing that's meant to be enjoyable and relaxing—it's just too much.
1: <laughs> yeah. So right now, I'm just like consuming and reading totally non Star Wars stuff as a kind of palate cleanser mm. um, before that's diving back in. Yeah.
0: Let's make that the jumping-off point for the first news item, which is that Jon Favreau is to spearhead a new live-action TV series. And then this is the um, announcement from StarWars.com. Lucasfilm is excited to announce that Emmy-nominated producer and actor Jon Favreau has signed on to executive produce and write a live-action Star Wars series for Disney's new direct-to-consumer platform. Favreau is no stranger to the Star Wars galaxy having played roles in both the Star Wars Clone Wars animated series and the upcoming Solo, A Star Wars Story. "'I couldn't be more excited about John coming on board to produce and write for the new direct-to-consumer platform,' says Lucasfilm president Kathleen Kennedy. "'John brings the perfect mix of producing and writing talent, combined for fluency in the Star Wars universe. This series will allow John the chance to work with a diverse group of writers and directors.' and give Lucasfilm the opportunity to build a robust talent base. Favreau is thrilled to be returning to the Star Wars galaxy. If you told me at 11 years old that I would be getting to tell stories in the Star Wars universe, I wouldn't have believed you. I can't wait to embark upon this exciting adventure. Disney's collaborations with Favreau extend back a decade, when he helped launch the Marvel Cinematic Universe as director of Iron Man and Iron Man 2. And as an executive producer of the Iron Man and Avengers films for Marvel Studios, for Disney he directed and produced the massively successful *The Jungle Book*, which won an Academy Award for its groundbreaking visual effects. He is currently in production on Disney's highly anticipated reimagining of *The Lion King*, set for release in 2019. The untitled Star's Star live-action series does not yet have a release date. So, Kirsty, how did you feel about this news when you first saw the announcement?
1: um it's a decision that makes sense to me like i feel like he's been um considered a lot for a long time for star wars Mm -hmm. um and he is obviously a huge fan of it so i'm happy for him um and it makes sense from the like the marvel perspective he's obviously proven to be successful in that kind of franchise Mm -hmm. um and i'm excited about the possibility of a live action tv series like obviously this has been something that people have been talking about for ages now like even george lucas talked about live action tv Mm. so it's really cool that we're getting that um and i can't wait to find out what it's about um i am a fan of john and favreau's smaller films like chef and swingers Mm -hmm. and he even directed elf which is one of my favorite christmas movies
0: oh i didn't know he did that that's really cool
1: he's done all sorts of things i haven't watched the jungle book yet but that's supposed to be amazing too especially effects wise Mm. um i don't know if you've seen that
0: i have seen the jungle book i I, actually i wasn't as enamored with it as everyone else was oh okay it's a good film don't get me wrong it's just i know it didn't quite work for me and the effects while they're great I never forgot their effects, you know, it never became fully immersive for me. But okay. it's still a good film and it's still a technical achievement. So he's a very talented guy. Yeah,
1: I was listening to the Slash Film podcast the other day and um, Peter had like this anecdote from when he was well, someone who he knew or maybe himself, I can't remember. They were on the Jungle Book set and they were using blue screen for the effects. And someone asked Jon Favreau, why are you using blue, not green? Like, Is there a particular reason for that? And he was like, oh, I just wanted it to feel like I was making Star Wars because that's what Lucas did, which I thought was absolutely adorable. So. That is
0: really sweet, yeah. No, he has real love, I think, for the brand, which is really nice. And in many ways, that's a really important first step because I wouldn't really want anyone coming into Star Wars who isn't really passionate about it and isn't determined to give it their all. And I think so far with the hiring decisions, Kathleen Kennedy has done a good job it. At- Making sure the people that are chosen are really invested and really do care about the property, which is good.
1: Yeah, obviously people are going to bring their own ideas of what Star Wars is, and they're going to have different interests in terms because it's a big galaxy and there's lots of different types of of stories that they can tell. Mm-hmm. Um, so I'm wary of this like idea that everyone who has to make a Star Wars film has to be a fan, because being a oh, fan yeah. mean very different things to different people. Oh yeah, uh, definitely. Where's yeah, that? I'm not. Sorry, I'm not like arguing with you. I'm just kind of building on that comment. Yeah, no, totally. Um, yeah. So yeah, like the the kind of fan that John Favreau is might be a very different kind of fan to what Ryan Johnson considers himself to be. Um, but that's a good thing. Yeah. No.
0: Exactly. So everyone is passionate about Star Wars in a very different way. Like my Star Wars fandom is very different from like the next person's Star Wars fandom. You know. But that doesn't mean either of us love star wars to a different extent we just love it differently and in our own ways we get different things out of it which i think is important and a good thing and yeah you're absolutely right because while i think that all the creators should have that love for star wars i certainly don't think they should love it in a uniform way or always be attracted to the same parts of star wars because then that's a recipe for boredom and repetitive storytelling where everyone just wants to do the same kinds of things and yeah. you don't want that you want the filmmakers to put some of themselves in it which I think is what Ryan Johnson did so well because you could tell he really loved Star Wars and was invested in that world and understood it but he also wasn't afraid to play with it and move things around a bit you know
1: yeah totally do you have any ideas for what the the series might be about I don't even know if there are whispers out there or any rumours yet or anything or if it's just total speculation at this point mm
0: I do wonder if it might be their way of bringing back that Star Wars Underworld idea. Because okay. we know that TV series got a lot of development under George Lucas. And I think there are actually like many scripts fully written. And yeah, it went really far, basically. It just in the end, it turned out it wasn't financially viable at the time. Um, So I remember them saying a while ago that they still had all those scripts. They still had all those materials. And they didn't want to just throw that away. So I don't think that they'd be using exactly the same materials that Lucas intended to use, because, yeah, we're hearing that Favreau's writing his own thing, but I do wonder if Favreau might be taking that concept and building on it and crafting something based around that. Or that is just purely, like, a guess based on what we know about the previous attempt to do live-action Star Wars, though. And it's perfectly possible John Favreau's doing something completely different that we could have no concept of. But in any event, I think that it's safe to say that it will be all new characters and probably like a new corner of the galaxy that we haven't seen before. Because I don't see them doing a thing where we get like cameos from like young Luke, young Leia and young Han Solo, you know? <laughs> yeah. Like, I don't see them going down that road and I don't really want them to, so yeah. What do
1: you think? Yeah, be, well I'm interested to know if it would like include anything about force users, not necessarily Jedi. <laughs> But like, if it's going to have any of those mystical elements, or if it is going to be more about different kinds of people who just happen to live in the galaxy.
0: Yeah, I could see it perhaps having some people in it, like Mars, so yeah. people who like are attuned to the Force and kind of understand it, about like belonging to a particular clan or sect or anything. I think that'd be cool.
1: Hmm. Yeah. Um, so I, I guess we'll eventually hear more.
0: Exactly. Upon reading the statement out, I find the. Um, Wording of Kathleen Kennedy's statement very pointed, like is like diverse group of writers and directors and robust talent base. Like I think the coding is very clear, so I think they're aware of the criticism they've got over the repeated white male middle aged directorial choices, and I think that's just them attempting to say, look, we know how this looks, and we promise that we're using this as a springboard to do something more interested in terms of who we have creatively behind the scenes. Um. So, yeah, like I'm glad they're at least making some kind of overture towards that. Although this whole press release is pretty badly timed because it came out on International Women's (laughs) Day. I know. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah.
1: I mean, I hope when she says this, it's not... what You know, when it says, like, the chance to work, Mm. uh, I wonder if it's carefully phrased because they don't yet have people signed up or if they do have people signed up and they're just waiting to announce them for whatever reason. Mm. um but yeah like again this will be something that people hold them to because it is something that's very important to a lot of fans
0: yeah exactly so hopefully they stick to their words basically and that it is really used as an opportunity to get diverse talent in there because right now in a way it does seem to be kind of like an old boys network like it's very much like oh john favreau you're familiar to us from all these previous like marvel disney projects so you're safe come on come on in you know and yeah there does there does need to be more of a return to that whole risk-taking attitude that got them to hire someone like ryan johnson in the first place so i think he was a relative outsider it wasn't like he'd done like marvel or previous disney projects or anything but his talent impressed them sufficiently so they brought him on and i want to see more stories like that and yeah preferably with different kinds of people as well but at the end of the day it just has to be whoever's the most talented and Yeah, it's just about making sure those opportunities are as open as possible.
1: Sure, like just thinking about all the opportunities that they could have for richer storytelling if they, Mm. you know, choose to be more diverse. Like I, I finished reading the the last Jedi novelization and I really enjoyed it, and I think Jason Fry is a good writer, Mm. but I would really like to think that they would consider a female writer for Episode Nine novelization because at this point aside from the Force of destiny episodes we haven't had a woman write for ray and mm-hmm. i think that would be really great for the sake of getting an understanding of ray's internal journey yeah um definitely you know not to criticize jason fry but i just think it would be a missed opportunity if they went the entire trilogy and there wasn't a single female writer for her
0: yeah definitely it's like prayer circle for claudia gray please, please.
1: well please. yeah <laughs> maybe
0: (laughs) Uh, we can dream anyhow i think we should probably move on to the next story um which is that there has been an excerpt released from the hand solo novel last shot as well as an interview of the author and i was just wondering if you could read out the excerpt i've included from the interview of the author please Kirsty.
1: yes um starwars.com as a new father i love the excerpt For a galaxy far, far away, I found it relatable on a million levels, though I've never been awakened by a Mon Mothma hologram. What can you tell us about writing this scene and, in general, writing Han Solo, legendary smuggler and scoundrel, as a dad? Oh, we should have probably mentioned that the excerpt, just in case people haven't read it. Yes, um, of course.
0: Sorry, good. We need that set up. Yeah, go on.
1: It's basically Han Solo and baby Ben Solo in this adorable situation where they're sleeping and Han wakes up and is thinking about Ben and hoping that he doesn't wake up and then someone knocks on the door and it turns out to be Lando. And for whatever reason, he's not very happy to see Han, but I guess that's part of the story. We'll figure it out when we read the whole thing. But it's it's a really great little element and lots of father and son cuteness. Yep. Very nicely uh, summarized. Sorry. <laughs> <yeah>. <laughs> Sorry. Um, so Daniel, Jose, older. This was also a lot of fun. The whole book was way too much fun to write, if we're being honest. Han is someone we know has the capacity to love deeply. Take that moment in Jedi when he's ready to step back because he thinks Luke and Leia have a thing. (laughs) One of my favorite Star Wars moments, to be honest. Um, That's me talking, not him. Yeah. It's so small, but says so much about the man he has become. So on the one hand, he has a powerful devotion to Leia and Ben, and on the other, look, he's still a rugged smuggler deep down, and the open sky still calls his name. So how does a wandering heart find adventure amidst contentment? As we gather from the more recent movies, in Han's case, maybe one doesn't. But at this early point in his marriage, he's still really trying to solve that problem. StarWars.com Considering the path that Ben took, there's also something tragic about this scene, and this glimpse into how Han loved him. Is that something you wanted to convey? Uh, the great thing about writing in this wild and vast universe is so much of that work is already done so it relieves me of the need to be overbearing or lean heavily into foreshadowing. We know there's tragedy down the road so it's really the everyday regular schmegula type details that are kind of heartbreaking. Like Ben calling Lando Uncle Wan Wo. <laughs> Which wasn't actually in the excerpt that they gave us. No, so That's the wasn't. next little tidbit.
0: <laughs> that breaks my heart.
1: I for one will not stand for this obvious wubification of irredeemable monster Kylo Ren.
0: <laughs> so yeah, we see him like as this adorable sleeping toddler being frightened by a hologram. Down with this sort of thing. Yeah, exactly. This is of course how like evil overlords are always depicted. I I like personally, seriously, it really tickles me so much seeing Supreme Leader Kylo Ren in this kind of <laughs> period in his life. <laughs> Can you imagine like this kind of story being written about Palpatine? It would just be so
1: no. ludicrous <laughs> I'm sure there's fanfic out there but
0: <laughs> there's fanfic of anything.
1: <laughs>
0: uh-huh. Oh, it's so wonderful. Um but yeah, it's seriously, it's continually amusing to me how Lucasfilm basically pimps out all the baby Benzelo stuff whenever mm-hmm. there's the opportunity. They did it at Vampire's End as well.
1: Yeah, there's like and, and there's it's very in
0: few passages that are about him. And those were the ones that were released as like the preview passages because they know people are hungry for this stuff. Yeah. And yeah, it's a clever marketing move.
1: Yeah, it's in the novelization as well. Not to get too spoilery, I won't talk about specifics, but it obviously makes sense if you're going to have like the flashbacks to Ben Solo at the academy with Luke, you're going to have those little extra elements about Ben Solo, right? Mm, so they're exactly. pushing that stuff.
0: Yeah, they make it very, very tantalising indeed.
1: So yeah, I'm excited to read this book.
0: Yeah, same. Like, it, it looks really good. And I loved what I read in the excerpt. It seemed really nicely written. And everyone was really well characterised and sounded like themselves. Which I know sounds like, oh, yeah, of course. But that is actually really hard to do. So I am impressed whenever anyone does it well.
1: So. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah, and the author has been really great at connecting with fans as well. Um, after this excerpt was released, a ton of Hanum Baby Ben fan art was on Tumblr and Twitter, and he was he was seeing it and liking it, and it must be really cool to see like the immediate effect of your work on fandom like that. Like the book's not even out, that's what he was saying. He was like, "Wow, there's so much, and it's all so yeah. wonderful." So. Yeah,
0: no, that's one of the wonderful positive things about social media, which. Yeah, I think we can all appreciate. Like Sometimes it's really annoying that fans are so close to the creators, but in other times it's really wonderful so it does let those creators know how much people are being inspired by what they do. So, yeah, that's lovely. And, yeah, I really just want to see Ben and Lando with each other. Like, <laughs> how, how is Uncle Wanwal with little baby Ben? It's like, ah! Oh. He's so cute. Uh, yeah, I guess we've said all we want to say about that, haven't we, really? like We yeah. obviously talk about it more when the movie comes out, when the book comes out, so mm-hmm. yeah, yeah. That, that will come. Um, yep, then basically we have the promo trail racking up again for The Last Jedi in preparation for the home release, which, ex- which is exciting. And in particular, there's a new Andy Serkis interview with Entertainment Weekly. And yeah, I will give the floor to you, Kirsty.
1: Um. I can't remember if that is the article by Anthony Bresnikan or is it someone else?
0: I'm pretty sure it's by Bresnikan. He does everything.
1: (laughs) Okay. He asks, are we allowed to know what kind of damage um, is inflicted on Snoke? Um, What was it that messed him up so badly? And Andy says, it is to do with previous battles. It's a sort of decay as well. He's quite an old character and those battle scars are affecting his recovery and his body started to break down as well. How old would you say he is? I would say that he's a couple of hundred years old. The Fans continue to be fascinated with Snoke and his history. I wondered if you were privy to any insight into his past that the movies don't address and whether you can shed any light on that. We wanted him to have a great deal of mystery, but we did. JJ and I discussed it, and Ryan, and I did discuss backstories to him where he came from. I've been asked to not shed anything. Should we want to bring him back in any way, whether in a prequel or whatever? I think there's something cool about that. It still does remain a mystery for people. I know that some people find it incredibly frustrating, but I think it allows for further exploration and layering at a further point. Do you anticipate a return for Snoke in some future stories? Yeah, I would love to think that there is room for him to come back. I think anything's possible in a Star Wars movie. I'd be all up for it. I think there's a lot more to be had from the character for sure, but I'm not in discussions with anybody at all about it. For now, Supreme Leader Snoke is no more. What else should we know about him? I played him as incredibly threatened by this female which he's not used to, or doesn't understand. He completely underestimates Rey, obviously, but he can sense that there's a strength there that certainly Kylo Ren doesn't have. I would say he's pretty misogynistic in that respect, interestingly, for our time.
0: I love Andy Circus. He's
1: great. <laughs> yeah, I, I totally get why people want to know the backstory, but whatever might be his personal headcanon, um, that's not the story that they're choosing to tell at this point, so... Of course, he's not going to come out and say that, because then if he did, and they decide to do smoke stories later that end up diverging from that, people will be like, well, it doesn't line up with what he already told us. Yeah. Um, I think there's exactly. often a, a real confusion around what counts as canon, mm. and nothing's really canon until it's committed to paper or film, and then people can't contradict it in future yeah. stories. So Exactly.
0: And even then, there's always from a certain point of view, you know, right, so exactly. there's and always I'm like that wriggle
1: room. Yeah, so it totally makes sense that he'd want to like tease it a little bit, and for sure we will get more Snoke stories. Like, it's not even a question for me. Mm.
0: Yeah, no. So I think obviously we get Andy here saying that he discussed backstories with JJ and Ryan, but I don't think that means that those backstories like are the backstory. I'm sure they will be related to whatever the actual backstory is when it comes, when it becomes apparent, which I'm sure it will eventually, but. Like, they will have basically been what Andy was told to help him with his performance. You know, because he will have needed some guidance. So it can't be just like, you're just a dude. You're just here, you're saying the lines, that's it. You know, they will have given him some kind of insight into, okay, what is your intentions with Ben Solo? Like, why are you so messed up you know all that kind of stuff they will have had conversations about that because that will have helped him perform the character but yeah like you say that's not the same as that being the definitive story of Snoke and yeah I think it's very very wise that they're keeping mum on the specifics of what was discussed because yeah it only stirs the pot and creates more trouble further down the line basically it's something to be avoided at all costs Especially about Snoke, because people were so sensitive about it. God, they get really funny.
1: Yeah, it kinda of reminds me of that interview with Mark Hamill before the movie came out that he was like, Oh, I invented this backstory for myself as to why Luke wouldn't be picking up the sabre again and mm. it's because he had this child and then there was a horrible accident with a lightsaber, so he's a bit traumatised. Yeah. Um and you know, for the sake of an actor's performance, sometimes the official backstory, which is what we got in The Last Jedi, doesn't quite cut it for them. Yeah. Um. And I sense from Mark, even though he's been very careful to say, no, Ryan's choice was the right one, even though I found it a bit jarring. Um. For whatever reason, he felt that he needed something a little different to work with. Yeah. And that's fine, because they acknowledge that that's not the actual story that Lucasfilm are telling. It's just like what an actor brings to the table can be very different sometimes. Exactly. Um. I do think that Andy definitely has a point about this idea of Snoke being threatened or underestimating Ray, because... I mean, he underestimates Kylo too, but I think the key is that he underestimates Ray's effect on Kylo. Yeah, um, definitely. Because he kind of, he says, like, he brings them together, he's connected them to so that Kylo can be bait for Ray. But I think mm. he really underestimates what that means for their dynamic.
0: Yeah, definitely. And I think he kind of sees it almost like as too much of a one-way street. He thinks that seeing Kylo's vulnerability will make Ray go all soppy and go like, Oh, Kylo, I need to help you, blah blah blah. Like and run to him and then Kylo will be the loyal dog and present her to him like as a tribute almost. He doesn't think that well, the fact that Ray is soft for Ray Ky- is soft for Kylo. What if Kylo is soft for Ray? Like, what are the implications <laughs> of that, you know? Yeah. He thinks that it will happen with Ray, but he doesn't think it will happen with Kylo. Presumably because well not presumably, but maybe he has this like I don't know, like limited macho idea of what Kylo will be like as a man and he like will be like firm and strong in the face of this like woman, like and he won't be affected by all her emotional ways and nonsense when the opposite is true. If he sincerely thought that he's a moron because Kylo <laughs> is just so constantly emotional. <laughs> like...
1: Well, I think his abusive tactic at the beginning of the film to like berate Kylo and make him feel like he has something to prove to him. Yeah. I think that's like him putting him back in line so that people like want to prove his loyalty, right? And obviously it doesn't work out that way, but you can kind of see his thought process.
0: Yeah, it's true. And we know that Snoke hates Kylo's like emotional vulnerability Mm -hmm. because like he's completely disgusted when he sees like how torn up Kylo is about killing his dad and expects Snoke in a way views that as like a feminine trait, you know, like showing emotion, showing weakness. And so that's what he wants Kylo to purge, like in in a way I guess that ties back into like telling Kylo that he needs to kill Rey, because Rey in Snoke's mind probably represents that feminine weakness in Kylo, but Kylo actually sees her as a source of strength. And
1: yep, I I think you're right there.
0: Thanks. <laughs> Sorry, that's <was laughs> a really late way to I end agree that. With you. <laughs> News at
1: ten. <laughs> sometimes we disagree <laughs>
0: yeah no, we do sometimes disagree we're just very much in tune at the moment which is nice then the next story is that we have had our first look at the Last Jedi deleted scenes and basically what we've had is that we've had a series of EW articles breaking down the individual scenes and we've also had a complete um, deleted scene from the Star Wars show I think it was and yeah, it was the confrontation between Finn and Phasma. It was like an alternate version from what we got in the movie. And yeah, I was wondering, what did you think about that Finn-Phasma confrontation, Kirsty? Do you prefer it to what we actually got? Uh,
1: it's it's hard to say because I do prefer it in isolation, but mm. um, I am not a film director. So I kind of have to defer to Ryan as much as I'm like, oh, well, this would have been really good in my amateur opinion um mm. when he says it just didn't work with the pacing of the movie it's like mm. okay well I, I don't know how the editing process works i can't really visualize visualize what it would have looked like if you had just switched this in like i yeah. I, I don't know if it would have worked with what ha- they have either side of that scene yeah. um so while i prefer it in terms of its development for finn um really emphasizing that dynamic between him and phasma and i'd prefer it for phasma as well yeah. uh it's just it's not it's not really my call is it so it's great that we get it um and i'm interested to see if anything like this does play into finn's story for nine i would love it if it's true because i've been kind of waving the flag for like a finn leads a stormtrooper revolution uh story since the force awakens and i know Mm -hmm. lots of other people have too um but we've just got to see if that's where jj decides to take him
0: yeah, definitely. Um, I'm kind of torn about the deleted scene, to be honest, the Finn Phasma one, because I think in concept, it's really great. And I love John's delivery of that whole speech to Phasma about how cowardly she was in that crucial moment. I think that's really cool. But I think in other ways, it was not very well executed. Like some of the line readings were a bit off. um, Some of it was a little bit clumsy and hokey. Obviously the effects are bad, but I wouldn't judge it on the basis of that because those are things that would have been fixed had it actually been included, you know? So you can't take that into account. But yeah, I think that there were strong elements to it, but I think that overall it didn't quite work. So I'm not grieving for it hugely, but in a way I do think that I would have preferred to have seen like a retooled and improved version of the deleted scene than what we actually got so I think what we actually got just felt a bit anticlimactic and a bit empty and I think that just having that little speech and that character moment that really lends something to both characters that isn't there in the final movie so yeah I miss it for that reason
1: yeah I was reading a John Boyega interview in IGN I think a few days ago And he was talking about the finish scene that we got between him and Finn and Phasma. And he said that he was surprised by kind of how short it felt too. Mm. So I almost feel like he's mourning this scene as well. Not to project too much. I don't know him. Uh, But I just wonder how he feels about what we actually ended up getting with Finn in The Last Jedi.
0: Yeah, I think that's very reasonable. So I'm sure he put lots and lots of days and hard work and training into preparing for that confrontation with phasma yeah So he probably was a bit bummed out when it's like oh that's it right
1: yeah i mean i i'm just wondering now phasma's gone if they don't bring her back <laughs> which i i already wonder if they're gonna start teasing um if if she's gone it's like well how is this gonna happen now unless mm-hmm. finn just somehow like makes contact with a group of stormtroopers or something you know what i mean like i wonder if it would feel even more contrived at that point because this does feel a little expositiony but i feel like yeah. it, it would inevitably in a, in another way too i'm not sure how they would get around that so
0: yeah it's hard i don't think it's too limiting though in terms of going forward because i think it would have very much served as a resolution to that whole thin phasma arc because ultimately she's taken off the board in the Last Jedi, unless they contrive some reason to bring her back in Episode Nine, which I really hope they don't, she's gone. Just accept it. Just move on, please. So, I think that there's still that room for Finn to spark this like ripple of dissent across the whole First Order, because it's more the fact of his desertion from the First Order rather than the fact of Phasma's betrayal that should serve as that spark. You know, so I can see them still resurrecting that.
1: Sure, but just like to have other stormtroopers aware at this point that that is what happened, um, yeah. because there's another scene—the one with like Tom Hardy that got cut—where you get this hint that like people hadn't been told about Finn's defection because then it would spark this questioning amongst the ranks that um, yeah that's that true. it was even possible for them to leave and like start questioning things a little bit more yeah um so I guess we'll see. Uh, it, yeah. it's still afraid that jj could potentially pick up But
0: yeah you're right to say that it's not like there's a great deal of foreshadowing now the foreshadowing is basically non-existent but in many ways it's kind of like they've forgotten that finn was a stormtrooper at all it is easy to watch the film and forget that obviously i know they make the point of him having had access to the supremacy and that's a plot point but
1: But in terms of actual character, yeah. Yeah,
0: exactly. That's a plot point. It's nothing to do with the character, really. So, yeah. Hopefully we'll see more character stuff for Finn in Episode 9, but yeah, we'll have to see. Mm -hmm. I definitely like what JJ did with Finn in The Force Awakens more than I liked what Ryan did with Finn in Episode 8, as much as I love Episode 8. So, yeah, I trust that JJ will do a good job with the character. Yeah, me too. But yeah, to talk more generally, um, did anything strike you in those more detailed looks from EW at the deleted scenes? Did any scenes stand out as you've been like, Ooh, that looks interesting.
1: I haven't actually looked at the others. Sorry. <gasps> what else was there? You can tell uh, me.
0: Let me see. I need to bring it up.
1: <laughs> sorry. Don't worry. <laughs> I'm telling you, there has been too much stuff this week. <laughs> I yeah. can't keep up. I have other things I need to do.
0: What do you mean? Other things apart from Star Wars? That's bonkers. Um, <laughs> no, and Josh in is fine. Um, yeah, so it was stuff like BB-8 reveals Ray's goodbye, which is obviously the scene oh, we know yeah. about. So, um, BB-8 showing Finn the hologram of Ray. Ray in the Raiders of the Caretaker Village, which again we know about. It's the whole scene where Luke is a dick and he tricks Ray basically, <laughs> and she gets very upset with him. Then Luke in mourning. Which is apparently Luke mourning for Han, like after finding out about his death, and then it crosses uh, to Leia.
1: Are there photos of those then? Uh,
0: I don't think there is for Luke and Jordan. Okay. There all are right. for BB 8 Revolves, Ray's Goodbye, and Ray and the Raiders, of The Caretaker Village.
1: Okay. So all so of this could... stuff is kind of covered in the novelization. so I guess I, I came to it that route. Yeah. Uh, yeah.
0: Exactly. So, yeah. I- I'd say for me, out of all of the deleted scenes that are profiled in EW, the one I'm most excited for is the one with the caretakers.
1: Me too. I just want more caretakers.
0: <laughs> yeah. Caretakers are awesome. And I also think it'll be interesting to see how that scene recontextualizes what would have been around it in terms of like the worsening of that relationship with Luke from Rey's perspective and how that causes her to retreat back to Kylo more. Mm-hmm. Um, because yeah, I think in the end, ryan didn't feel it was necessary to increase that antagonism to the extent that the deleted scene made it so but i still think it'll be cool to see that i I, like you say i think that's in the novel isn't it so you you probably do have a sense of how that all fits in
1: um yeah i mean i don't i don't want to say too much because we'll talk about it when we do get that and when we get these deleted scenes Mm. but like luke mourning and then like reconnecting with leia and stuff like that it just kind of changes how his and Ray's dynamic actually goes, mm. and that there are like extra elements of tragedy and misunderstanding. Yeah. Um. So it's super interesting to get this stuff, and ultimately, like by the end of the movie, it doesn't change things too much. Mm. So you can understand why Ryan ended up cutting things. It just streamlines it a bit more. Mm. Um. But they're just intriguing, like extra little character tidbits.
0: Yeah. No, that sounds really good. So yeah, like, I think all the deleted scenes they are going to be interesting to watch. I don't think I'm going to be like, oh, damn, all the forces in heaven for denying me this moment. Um, but yeah, I'm still going to be glad to read them. Um, one thing I found, though, is I think I'm 100 pages into the novel and Finn's already met Rose. And I'm pretty sure that if the novel were going to have the scene where Finn sees the hologram of Ray, that will have already happened. So I don't think that's in the novel. Is that right? No, it's not. It's not. Okay, yeah. So then that makes me particularly excited to see that scene because yeah, it's not a scene we've seen represented anywhere else. So that would be
1: cool. Um Yeah, I think it oh, I'm getting all the different versions of the story mixed up. Yeah. I've I've read the TLJ storybook which mm-hmm. is obviously more for kids, and I think it might have been in there. Okay. Or it's at least, it's definitely in one of the kids' versions of the story. Right. Um, I can't remember if it's the junior novelization, it's that one, or if it's like one of those little side books, like Rose and Finn's Mission or something. Yeah. um, But I, I've seen it depicted somewhere.
0: Yeah. No, that makes sense. Like, it, like you say, it's horrible, and you completely lose track in the end because of all these different iterations of the story. It was like, ah...
1: Yeah, because there's all like much of a muchness, but there are these tiny little things that are different. So
0: exactly, right. And then just yesterday, so on Friday, we had q and A Q&A on Facebook Live with Daisy Ridley, and I believe she's promoting the home media release of the Last Jedi. Shock. Um, <laughs> and yeah, I was wondering if you could just read out what is what was said, or at least a key moment from what was said. That would be great. Thanks, Kirsty.
1: Yeah, the whole interview was really great. She was absolutely charming. So I recommend that people go to the Star Wars Facebook page and watch that anyway. It's not too long. I think it's about 20 minutes. Um, but this part was super interesting for us for obvious reasons. Um, she was asked, <laughs> what is your favorite quality that Ray possesses? And she said that she is very hopeful. I think it's really wonderful. Like she has been so lonely her whole life and it's been very difficult. I think she reacts in the way she does to new people coming in her life. She's trying to help BBA, even though initially she's like, go away. She then does everything she can to help him. She does everything she can to help Finn. And even though everything's been thrown at her, she didn't really ask for any of it. She's so hopeful going forward. And as we've seen from Jedi, she really sees the glimmer in Kylo, that there's some good there. And she goes with it, and I think that's pretty wonderful. And then Andy Gutierrez says, that is pretty wonderful, but I mean, it's also a bit to her detriment, you know. She believes in people who might be completely irredeemable. And then Daisy interrupted, <laughs> she was like, I don't think so because I think he is redeemable. There is a moment where he is redeemable. He does the right thing for a moment, even though the right thing is a terrible thing in the grand scheme of things to kill another person. He does the right thing just then in order to help her. And also he thinks, I'm not saying he's right. He does think that what he's doing is the right thing. He's not like, Oh, I'm so evil.
0: No, I really love Daisy's comments here. It's fantastic. And, especially now being able to say, Daisy Ridley said, I think he is redeemable. Those are her <laughs> words. I think that's fantastic. And I also like that when you actually watch the interview with her, she kind of stops herself just at, just before she can finish saying redeemable in I think he is redeemable. Again, I'm reading way too much into it into this because, of course, that's what we do with Star Wars Podcast. But I kind of get the impression she's like, shit, I don't want to say anything that might sound too much like it's talking about the future or even the present. So I just need to talk firmly about what happened in The Last Jedi. And then she moves on and says, there is a moment where he is redeemable. You know, did you get that impression at all?
1: Yeah, I think she's very careful to talk about what we've already seen because yes. and I'm guessing she doesn't really know that much about Episode Nine yet anyway. So it's not like what she's saying could be like a spoiler or anything. It's that she's talking about what happens in the last Jedi that even though Kylo makes terrible decisions, he also makes good ones. Um, Mm. I do think it's kind of funny that she says like, Oh, it's terrible to kill another person. It's like, well, not really when it's Snoke, but
0: (laughs) yeah, exactly.
1: (laughs) but yeah, that she's saying that he does that to help her because I, I know there's been a lot of debate about whether he was like using her to then get to Snoke. And that was his plan all along. Um, so, yeah, he he does that to help her. He sees that she's in this situation and he decides he wants to rule the galaxy with her, which has its own set of problems with it, obviously, and that's why she <laughs> behaves the way she does afterwards. But, um, yeah, I agree with everything that Daisy's saying here.
0: Yeah. No, exactly. They're great comments, and I think they exemplify part of why I love Ray so much, because that is like her ultimate good quality, that ability to have hope and to work hard to help people, despite all these... Like difficult circumstances and her her own hardship. That's the best thing about the character for me. It's not yeah. the fact that she's like a badass with a lightsaber, because that to me is kind of like, irrelevant. It's how she is as a person and how she treats other people, and yeah, that's what makes her awesome. And it's also, yeah, I really like how she responds to what Andy says when Advi- Andy's kind of like playing devil's advocate, because Andy obviously just to present like an opposing perspective for Daisy to bounce off. She's like, it might be a bit to her detriment that she's like this. And Daisy's like, well, I see what you mean, but no, not really. Because, yeah, I think that if you say that, like, it's to her detriment because, well, she sometimes sees hope in people who there is no hope for, then I think that does make Ray seem like a bit of a dupe. And, like, she's just being suckered into helping Kylo when there's absolutely no chance of redemption there and there's nothing to salvage. And I think it's important to Daisy that she says, No, that's not what's going on with the character. She does see something genuine there and that's what she's fighting for. You know? And I think the whole story would be kind of hollow and empty if there weren't something there for her to latch onto and try and save.
1: Exactly. She's our hero because she has all this hope and compassion. Mm. And um in general I think those are strengths, but they are especially strengths in Star Wars. And always Definitely. have been. They are not weaknesses. And it's very important that we see those strengths for female characters as well. Because sometimes there's this weird idea that if a female character is compassionate, that makes them weak. And I do not subscribe to that at all. Yeah. Um, so, yeah.
0: Exactly. It's really nice. This is kind of like, Ray would never like go after Snoke. Being like, oh, I believe in you, Snoke. You can be redeemed. <laughs> you know, that would be dumb. That would be very dumb. But yeah, that's like the difference between Kylo and Snoke, that there is that hope there for Kylo still.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: see. So, yeah, lovely. And Daisy is an awesome person, so it's great. Um, yep, and with that done, I think the next and final thing we want to cover in the news section is a little discussion of the Rebels series finale. And yeah, I haven't seen this, I know certain <laughs> facts about what happens in the Rebels series finale, so I will participate at the appropriate moments, but I think for the most part it's probably best if you give like a little speech on what you thought about this Kirsty, so please do go ahead.
1: Okay. Um, well, obviously if people haven't seen the last few episodes of Rebels, please don't listen to this if you don't want to be spoiled. Like, Skip ahead like five or ten minutes. I don't know how long we'll end up talking about it. Um, but I have very mixed opinions about how rebels ended. Mm. Um, and part of those, I think are like initial concerns I had about the series as a whole. Um, so I'm over the moon that lots of people I know who absolutely love rebels are very happy with how it ended. Like mm. that's fantastic. And I, these are just my views. So I don't want to like take away from anyone else's excitement. Cause I know that these characters and the story means a lot to a lot of people and that's great. Um, I had a concern from the beginning because I knew that they were not going to kill Ezra. Because you don't do that in a coming-of-age story where you have this protagonist that children identify with. Like You just don't. It would be like killing Rey in Episode nine. It's not happening. Um, So I knew that he was going to end up surviving, and that was kind of my worry with the series as a concept because obviously it treads very closely to the original trilogy. So I was just wondering how they were going to get around that and in my opinion, and we don't know yet because they haven't really told... that. Presumably, this is kind of them opening up potential for more stories to be told with Ezra, Ahsoka, and Sabine. Yeah. Um, so it'll be interesting to see if there's a tour play in with what the new announcement for the next animated show will be, or if that's going to be something totally different. Um, so it just doesn't quite sit with me that Ezra and ahsoka too are alive while luke's story is going on yeah you know like i'm happy that he survived because i know a lot of people love the character yeah so ezra has had a lot of incredible development through the story and um it kind of makes mm-hmm. sense really that kanan had to die because he was like the older mentor figure and then you have to have that little bit at the end even though some people have thought that like, Ez- kan- Kanan could have died a little bit earlier and then you could have had a whole season devoted to Ezra kind of making his own way. But um, that aside, um, I don't know. I have very complicated feelings about it. Yeah. Um,
0: Do you want me to chip in? Yeah. Yeah. Like, again, like I feel like a fraud even talking about this because I'm not going to judge the series I haven't seen. I- I'm just going to judge the factual things that happen in it that I'm aware of and how I feel about the implications that those factual things have for the part of the franchise that I actually follow so like the films basically and some of the books (laughs) um and yeah I'm not really happy about the idea of these like powerful force users just roaming about throughout the entire original trilogy and beyond at least in Ahsoka's case like, that's really troubling to me. And, yeah, it kind of raises all these, like, unpleasant possibilities in my mind. Like, I really don't want to see, like, Ahsoka Tano become, like, a teacher at Luke's new Jedi Academy. Is like, please, no, 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 <laughs> no, no. Like, like to me, that's just, like, holding on way, way too long. That whole Academy thing, that should be about starting something new. And I think a big part of that whole, like, endeavour for Luke should be that he doesn't really know what he's doing and he doesn't know what was really taught in the old Jedi Temple because there's no one left to te- to explain that to him. You know, then if you have Ahsoka there, who was raised, like, in the last days of, like, the Jedi under the Republic and will have known all their ways and a lot of their teachings and everything, well, then that completely undermines that. You know, I just, I don't like it.
1: Yeah, I mean, this is all speculative because we don't know what story they're going to end up telling. It might be that like Sabine and As Ahsoka go off to find Ezra, and then for whatever reason they're all kind of called out somewhere in the unknown regions, and then they get lost, and mm. and and then the First Order. Do you know what I mean? So yeah,
0: sure. Like like I'm obviously going worst case scenario with this. You know, it's yeah. just a possibility that is now there that was not necessarily there before because we weren't even sure these characters were going to survive.
1: Yeah, I mean, there was all this, like, oh, does Ahsoka live um, debate going on like a- after season two. And it was never any question for me because Dave Filoni would never be able to kill Ahsoka. I'm sorry, he loves her too much. Yeah. He can't kill his darlings. So um, she was always going to come back, in my opinion. But the fact that they have that epilogue and it's like, oh, and they lived past the Battle of Endor. It's like, okay, so what were they doing in that time period that would make sense if we look at what the original trilogy gives us, because it's really that Luke is the last hope. Um, there's not any acknowledgement of other Force users. I, I'm again, I'm like thinking of worst case scenarios where I'm like, are they going to retcon what Le- You know, the there is another. Like, is that going to be Yoda referring to Ezra or Ahsoka <laughs> instead of Leia? <laughs> So please no. Please. Sorry, I, I hope we're not upsetting anyone here because these are just kind of us, like... We're just being honest about what this changes for the story because it, it inevitably it changes some things. Like, even yeah. just the um, the part that I actually r- really loved, all of the stuff in A World Between Worlds, bringing in Mortis again, and Ezra going into this really cool place where he can potentially he can change everything about the universe and he wants to bring back Kanan, but then he doesn't and he saves Ahsoka but the implications there are potentially huge and they're not really explored in the story like and maybe they will be explored in future stories but Mm. did Vader see Ahsoka disappear (laughs) like that's huge
0: that's been a serious like head scratch moment
1: is he gonna want to bring back Padme now he knows that's possible to change time (laughs) and space is he gonna be knocking on Palpatine's office door being like hey you never told me about this I could bring back my wife <laughs> we have a plan maybe we'll get that now maybe that will be Vader's new journey to try and save Padme like how tragic would that be um
0: that would be tragic but yeah just no please
1: <laughs> I'm just they're gonna have to do something with this stuff because while obviously the portal it was done in a way that it was like okay that's wrapped up in that story and it doesn't necessarily mean that this is going to be something that star wars writers can regularly go to like oh we need to bring back this character we're going to open up the portal again Mm. (laughs) they can't do that over and over but it still presents the possibility which doesn't bother me in and of itself but just the fact that they did it with ahsoka and then she was like oh you can't save your master i can't save mine but then she was happy to survive past that too and it was like well your destiny's altered now
0: yeah exactly i think i'm just not sold on the idea that all the ramifications of all this crazy crazy stuff that's gone down in rebels have been properly fought through um it's like i've seen i've seen a lot of people complain about the ramifications of that kamikaze like high sp- like um Hyperspace Jump in The Last Jedi. You know, I've seen people say, well, that's, that's a precedent. Why didn't that happen, like, in every previous big battle, you know? But to me, that is nothing compared to, like, hey, there's time travel now. <laughs> it's just like, what? <laughs> like, so I think there are logical explanations as to why, like, the whole Hyperspace Kamikaze thing will have not been used before, or at least why we have not seen it being used before. I'm not so sure that there are logical explanations as to why this whole time travel device is exclusive to Rebels and is not a thing that's ever really come into play elsewhere. I I don't know. I just don't buy it.
1: Yeah, it's interesting because the fact that you hear the voices of the movie characters like Ray and Kylo, Mm. um, it's like, is this going to play a part in episode nine? Like we know that Dave Filoni and Ryan Johnson did collaborate on some aspects of the story, um, Dave Filoni was on the set of The Last Jedi. Um, so we kind of just have to wait and see. Um, like I had this and um, Courtney, uh, Knights of Rant, like I saw her talk about this and I was like, yes, that was what I wanted. This like really cool idea of the Force Bond strengthening and like Ray somehow saving Kylo at the last second as he sacrifices himself through the Force Bond, like grabbing him through it because... We know that they can physically touch each other now. Mm. Like, wouldn't that be really cool? But the fact that they've done it in rebels now kind of is probably not going to happen yeah. not exactly that way. But it's just like it it brings up this cool potential. But um I don't know. It'll just be interesting to see how these little things play out now that they are part of established canon. Yeah. Um I liked a lot of the mystical force stuff. I liked this concept of Ezra going into this portal. But the fact that he's like the only force user who's ever had access to it, like even Palpatine. Uh, he couldn't do it Um, and although it was also cool to see like Palpatine kind of seeing him in Ahsoka and like trying to chase them through it and stuff like I don't know it's just bizarre to me still to see Palpatine interacting with Ezra and Mm. like being aware of his power but then in the original trilogy it's like suddenly Luke's the bigger threat I guess because he's like got that emotional connection to Vader as opposed to Ezra is just like oh he's a strong force user I could use him
0: yeah he's just a dude. (laughs) <laughs> can you imagine if in, in the original trilogy Luke was taken out and Ezra had all those big emotional scenes of Vader well
1: I mean Ezra has he's incredibly powerful yes this thing right it's not just like some generic Jedi dude yeah he's very powerful and it's a lot of it not so much season 4 but a lot of it was done with this very blasé attitude where <laughs> like you always got the sense that Ezra wasn't even trying <laughs> <laughs> that's part of his character almost at least from early on he's like he, he's very relatable and very down to earth and that's what people love about him yeah but, um yeah i don't know there, there's lots of stuff i did like but um that was also stuff that wasn't related to these larger implications like i loved sabine getting her art history nerd on yeah um and i really loved the way that they dealt with Kanan and hera mm. because it was like this reveal that people had kind of suspected that they'd been in a relationship all this time but that they just hadn't been able to say the words to each other. Yeah. Um, and Hera's grieving after Canaan died was really beautiful. Mm. Maybe yeah. try. cry. Um, it was actually um, surprising to me because I really hate the trope generally of um, a man dying and then his pregnant wife or girlfriend going on and having the child. Do you know what I mean? Like for yeah. some reason that's what's bothering me. But they actually did it pretty well in a way that doesn't bother me too much. Oh, um, that's good. And I'll be interested to see. What happens with Jason?
0: <laughs> Yay! <laughs> He'll be Ben's best friend at the
1: academy. We know that no well, Who knows? Like, what's what's the time frame at this point? Because he has to have been born before really anything. I mean, like, was he born before Rogue One? It's hard to say. When does uh,
0: when do the final episodes of Rebels take place in the timeline relative to Rogue One? Is there any indication? It's
1: before Rogue One, but I'm not sure how close.
0: Okay. Well, someone else
1: uh, there probably does. Um,
0: Let's say, just for the sake of argument, that he's born like exactly the same time that A New Hope happens, which is also the same time that Rogue One ends, because they feed seamlessly into each other. Um, then he would be about four or five years older than Ben. Okay. So he'd be roughly a peer. He'd be closer to Hux's age, I think.
1: So if he is Force-sensitive, he could potentially have been one of Luke's apprentices.
0: Oh, easily, yeah. And it's... Hmm. Reasonable to think that he would have been force sensitive given who his dad was. Although, then again, I'm not sure how hereditary force sensitivity works, so who knows? Hmm. Yeah, interesting questions. Yeah, I guess we'll see. <laughs> exactly. Do you think that the Rebels characters will return in a future animated series? I guess it seems almost inevitable, doesn't it?
1: Um, they might. I. I guess we'll have to wait and see what information we get on Resistance. Mm. Like, I can see them playing a part, but I kind of assumed that Resistance more would focus on people like Leia and Poe.
0: Yeah. Yeah, and it's weird to see how people like Ezra and stuff would fit in.
1: Yeah, I don't think they could ever play big parts because we kind of already had them as the main players in an animated show. Exactly.
0: Right. Then we're going to just quickly have a little spotlight section. shouldn't take too long because, yeah, sleepy times here. Um, <laughs> not that I'm a fully grown woman or anything. But <laughs> it's, there are still sleepy times sometimes. <laughs> um, but yeah, so basically what we're going to do is we're going to continue the spotlight from last time, which is where we think about the plot threads that are potentially open for episode nine. And we think about the different characters and how they could be used. And we think about... I don't know, just the state of things and how it could be extrapolated a bit in the future. So, yeah. Let's start with Luke. And the first question I have here is, do we see Luke returning? If so, in what form? This is a nice, easy question to start with, Kirsty. <laughs> but what are you thinking for this?
1: Well, <laughs> it was an easy question for me for a while, and I was like, yes, he's definitely returning. No question about it. But I'm starting to be like, mm, I don't know.
0: Mm. What makes you think that? What changed? It's
1: not even anything concrete. It's just like the the buzz from The Last Jedi has kind of started to die down. And I've just been looking at his art more. And it, it does seem like a satisfying resolution to him, even though there's still unfinished business with Ben. Mm-hmm. And I just wonder if when they talk about like, he'll always be with him, um, kind of like with Han, I wonder if it would just be so literal or if it will just be, his sacrifices and his apologies to Ben are what Mm. will stay with him and whether we'll actually get literal force ghosts, which I would really love. Like, I want it, um, but I just don't know if that's something that JJ and Mark will decide to do. Mm. If Mark would be up for it after everything with The Last Jedi, I I don't know.
0: Yeah. I definitely think Mark would be up for it because I also think there's room to complete that character's journey in a way that, Mark might have felt the character's journey wasn't complete from The Last Jedi because I do think it's a good ending for the character but I do think there are also things left incomplete like for example we know that like Luke acknowledges that he failed Ben in The Last Jedi and that he's sorry for that and I do think that with an interesting and well told story in episode 9 there is room for Luke to at least in part engineer things so that he can make up for that failure and really show that he still has this belief in his nephew and this hope that he will come back, even if it can't be through him directly. You know, So I think that would be yeah. a really nice way to close out his arc because we saw yeah. Luke come back as the legend in The Last Jedi, but I don't think we have yet seen him come back as this person with that enduring hope that always characterised him in the original trilogy.
1: Yeah, I I wonder, especially if now that we're not going to have Carrie as Leia, mm. um, especially in terms of Kylo's arc and potential redemption, that they would have rewritten it to maybe require Luke Force Ghost, even if they hadn't originally.
0: Yeah, I think it's very likely. And you've also got to think about how incredibly distressed people would be if there were no Luke at all true like I know that they shouldn't be writing these films with that in mind that shouldn't be like the primary consideration and I still don't think it should be the primary consideration but I do think it should be a consideration and a question they should ask themselves
1: yeah so um, I'm torn about it like I want it but I'm just not 100% sure
0: yeah exactly and we will see so yeah I personally think it's going to happen I'd say that like I think it's only the most slim outside chance of it not happening especially in any form I think it's dangerous to say oh there's definitely going to be 15 minutes of scenes with Force Ghost Luke right it could
1: be a very small moment
0: exactly yeah and like I think even something very very small would still count and still have the potential to be really powerful and good for the story so yeah I think it will happen in some shape or form but the shape or form that it takes will is yet to be determined Mm -hmm. Um, is Luke likely to take on any of the narrative functions previously assigned to Leia can he realistically carry these out or are certain things more likely to be done by Ray or Poe I guess when writing that question I was thinking well there's so much history and bad blood between Luke and Kylo I think that's part of the reason why Luke acknowledges that he can't save Ben because he knows that there's just too much pain and suffering there and that so much of Ben's hurt and torment is rooted in what he did to him that he accepts that he can't be that healing presence as he might be in another situation so yeah I guess the question is like, to what extent can Luke replace that Leia function if Leia were to be used like is some kind of like part of Kylo's redemption story
1: um I mean I think he could but it would just be different because mm. the dynamic is inherently different so I think yeah. like some of the emotion would have to be maybe given to Rey even though obviously she would have she would have had that component of the story anyway yeah um but in terms of like Leia's responsibilities in the Resistance they've actually done pretty good job of offloading that to Poe even in The Last Jedi. Yeah, I
0: think definitely. they
1: maybe did that so that Leia's arc in the last movie could be focused more on family because I think mean, there's been such an emphasis not just in the movie but in like the extra material that Leia has sacrificed so much and constantly put her responsibilities and duties in politics first mm. that it's maybe time for her to be able to focus on her personal relationships more that she yeah. would want to do that because the situation's gotten so dire. Yeah. Um, and we, we just get, like, a little taste of that setup in The Last Jedi between her and Ben.
0: Yeah. No, definitely. And it still breaks my heart a little that we won't get to see that fully, but obviously reality strikes, I guess, and it strikes hard. Um, but yeah, I think you, you're absolutely right and you express that really well. Um, yeah. So I guess... My last question is, will Luke haunt his naughty nephew? Will he do this in a trollish way? Or to be constructive and make up for how he failed Ben in the past? And um, My answer to this is pretty clear-cut, as I'm sure people will get from my earlier answer. And it's that, yeah, I think it would be about being constructive and trying to help him. I think they might add an element of mischief in to keep it a bit fun. And that could potentially be a source of a bit of humour, which I definitely would appreciate um but yeah i think it couldn't be just like ha you're evil look at you and i'm here tormenting you you know they couldn't do that so
1: well i think we got an element of that in the last jedi's confrontation so yeah i think that part's kind of done and then it's it's sincere like apologies and that he's failed him and that he's going to see him around i think it is like if he does come back to him It's going to be in a way to try and help the situation, even if he knows he can't save him by himself. Yeah. Exactly. Um,
0: I could see him trying to like engineer things like to have a good outcome. You know, kind of like how the like Greek gods in mythology do. Yeah, they set up certain players in specific situations because they want certain things to happen. And then it's like boom, it happens because like these higher forces were at work. And I don't mean that to like deny the like say mortal characters any agency I just mean in the sense of there being some like greater mystical force at work and Luke perhaps being an agent of that to an extent I think that could be cool if done Mm -hmm.
1: well yeah I agree
0: okay right then we have Finn and Rose (laughs) I start with a question that isn't at all difficult do we have any answers for how these characters could be used in the story honesty is okay Kirsty. by the way
1: (laughs) uh i honestly have very little ideas here because i feel like finn and rose's stories were very well rounded by the end of the last jedi yeah and there wasn't a ton of unfinished business aside from like their personal relationship which i'm sure we'll see continue to be explored but in terms of like Finn's found his place now in the Resistance and there aren't really any questions left about that. He's, like, fully committed and so is Rose and she yep. sees that in him and that kind of ties in with how she feels about him romantically. Mm-hmm. Um, whether or not he feels the same way, it's kind of left on that note to for then to follow up in episode nine, right? Yeah. Um, but in terms of, like, their overall character arcs, I really don't know. It's kind of a blank slate from my understanding. I feel like jj could take it in a number of different ways um with poe kind of taking leia's role it's almost like finn could take a poe role Mm. um not necessarily like become poe as a character yeah but that he's gonna like move up in the resistance and be more of a a player in terms of like making strategic decisions and stuff rather than being sent on a mission he's like more central
0: yeah that's true I can. I could also see Finn being like Poe's most like trusted, like member of the resistance in many ways. Yeah. By like him becoming almost like his right hand man, and like his protege, because like we know that Leia mentored Poe, and I could see Poe continuing to mentor Finn, because I do think, like you say, that Finn is fully committed committed to the resistance by the end of the Last Jedi. But I do think there's still a lot for him to learn, because I remember there's that moment in the base on crate. Where like Finn is like we've got to fight, and Poe's like no 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 like because he, he recognises that as actually the time they need to retreat, and so he actually uses that moment as an opportunity to teach Finn a lesson that Leia had previously taught him. So I think there could be an element of that, you know, like mentorship and like building each other up and stuff.
1: Yeah, I would also like for Finn, and again I don't know if this is what JJ would choose to do. But I would really like the idea of him playing more of a role in Rey and Kylo's story too. Mm. Because then it kind of ties up nicely with what we got in The Force Awakens, where you establish these three characters um, who have these complex relationships. Because the Finn and Kylo stuff, it, it could just be dropped and never mentioned again. But based on The Force Awakens, it kind of suggested to me that they had unfinished business in terms of like where you have these two adversaries... Um and they kinda hate each other, clearly. But especially by the end of the Last Jedi, they both really care about Ray. Yeah. So what does that mean, if anything?
0: Yeah, no, that's really cool and really true actually. Um because yeah, the characters are so different in many ways, but they're also eerily similar in other ways. And I think that is a really rich territory to explore. And yeah, again, I, I think I might have touched upon this the last time we spoke, but I really, really want to see what those ramifications are from everything that went down between Rey and Kylo. Particularly in this case, in terms of how much does Rey tell her friends? Like, will Finn know anything about that? Like, because... I'm just wondering how many questions there would be. Would Rey even need to acknowledge that she had gone to the Supremacy? Like, to be honest, because as far as any of them know, she just turns up on the Falcon, which is the vehicle that she took to Acto. Uh and then she's suddenly on crate on the Falcon again, without Luke and certainly without Kylo. So, yeah, would anyone even need to be told about her presence on the Supremacy? What do you think?
1: Um, It might not come up as a specific she-was-literally-there thing, but inevitably it's going to come out to Finn that she has this complicated relationship with Kylo now Mm. um, in some form. Um, Because I think The way that they part in The Force Awakens and the fact that they don't even exchange dialogue in the entire movie for The Last Jedi, it's kind of setting up this notion where they'll expect each other to be relatively the same place that they were when they parted. But of course, they won't be. Both of them have developed and developed in relation to totally different characters that they haven't had their own interactions with. Yeah. Um you kinda get that with how Ray's looking at him covering up Rose with a blanket, right? It's kind of this like, Well who's that? <laughs> mm. and um what's going on there? So Exactly. Yeah, I'm really interested to see how that's what that's going to mean for their relationship.
0: Yeah. So it's this very fertile ground to explore because we know from seeing how Ray handles it with Luke that she just doesn't tell Luke. She keeps it secret from him. So my kind of feeling is that she might also keep it a secret from Finn and Poe and everyone else at the Resistance. Maybe apart from Leia, I could see her confiding in Leia. And then I think there's room for it to like bubble to the surface in Nine and then become like a driver of the action. But yeah, again, just a possibility. But one I would certainly like to see explored.
1: Yeah. As for Rose, I have even less of an idea for yeah. her as Finn because... Um, not to say Rose isn't her own fleshed out character in her own right, but like Finn, she goes on this kind of very clear cut arc in The Last Jedi and then mm. she's left in this stasis similar to what Finn had at the end of The Force Awakens. So it's kind of like she can wake up and JJ can do whatever he wants with her. Yeah. So we'll see.
0: Exactly. It's a bit of a weird situation with Rose because yeah, she's a character who could really be taken in any direction. She does kind of still feel like a bit of an outsider to the like pre-established characters from The Force Awakens, apart from Finn. like We see some very brief interactions with Rose and Poe, but nothing substantial. Really, her only core relationship is with Finn at the moment. So I would like to see the opportunity taken to develop relationships with the others, particularly Rey, because God knows we need more female-female friendships in these movies.
1: Yes, definitely. That could be really cool.
0: Yeah. No, so... If there's anything on my wish list for Rose, it's make her Ray's buddy <laughs> because yeah, Ray needs a friend. <laughs> <laughs> okay, and then there's the old chestnut. Do we think there's any chance of Finn inspiring some kind of stormtrooper uprising? We touched upon this a bit in the discussion of the deleted scenes, but God, I hope so. Please, that'd be so epic.
1: <laughs> it would be really epic. Like I'm, I still have my fingers crossed for it, even though I am. I'm happy to accept it if it doesn't go that way, because JJ, who knows, he could have an even better idea up his sleeve, although I don't know what that would be. (laughs) (laughs) Um, Just because I really like the idea, and maybe we'll talk about this more when we eventually get to a Hux discussion, but I think it's really interesting to think about the First Order splintering from within, because you get these factions between Kylo and Hux, which has been there from the beginning of The Force Awakens and um, Kylo didn't see eye to eye with Snoke, and now he presumably has his own ideas about how to rule. Um, So if we get that kind of descent from the ground up, I think it could be very powerful, and it Mm. could be a way of, like... It could be more interesting to see the Resistance take down the First Order that way, um, so that the First Order plays a very important part in its own destruction. Yeah, Um, absolutely.
0: I'd like to see some kind of implosion... And this is maybe strained slightly, but there was an interesting line in the novelization where it was kind of like about Leia being the glue that held the resistance together. Yeah. Because she was like the single unifying force and she was the figure, the icon that everyone recognized and like focused on. And that kind of made me think, well, what happens when Leia goes? I know that they've set Poe up as like her successor and I'm sure he'll be the leader of the resistance in episode nine. But I do kind of wonder if will also see, like, tensions and factions within the Resistance. You know, like, especially mm-hmm. if they deal with Leia's passing in that film, which, for obvious reasons, seems pretty plausible. Um, And, yeah, I think it'd be really interesting to see both sides kind of, like, broken apart internally. You know, and then they're both forced to think, okay, this just isn't working, what do we do? <laughs> you know, because... I think there has to be some recognition that this old binary of like the plucky resistance and the evil First Order is not working and there needs to be something different from that, you know? And I think for that to be the case, it can't just be a case of the good resistance destroying the bad First Order. I think they have to handle it in a different way.
1: Uh Yeah, it's going to be really interesting to see Poe and Kylo as this generation's leaders. And whether it's even possible to have some kind of reconciliation, because at the end of the day, the First Order is pretty hard coded as a fascist organization.
0: Yeah, exactly. Um,
1: and we don't know what Kylo is going to do yet. Um, but uh, considering how idealistic and I don't want to say like narrow minded, that's not right, the right word, but like very principled Poe is that he is almost presented as an extremist on the left. Um, yeah that he was part of the New Republic and then Leia convinced him to join her cause. And at the end of the day, they were like an illegal subset Mm. that wasn't formally recognized by the Republic. They were funded by them, but kind of hush hush. So it'd be interesting to see these two leaders. And like, I've been talking for ages about how I would really love to see more politics because I know in the prequels, that's kind of been for a long time considered a common criticism of the prequels that there was too much politics but it's all uh, in the way that it's done at the end of the day Star Wars is about war yeah. <laughs> so you, you're going to need to have some politics in there um, exactly, as long as it relates you know, in a relevant way to the individual character arcs
0: yeah no that's really true um, right and then actually that's a good point on which to move on to Poe <laughs> Um, and my question here is, Poe looks set to become the new leader of the Resistance. What sort of leader do we think he will be?
1: He's going to be ha- different to Leia. He's going to have to be, right? Because mm. they are different people. And I know there are lots of parallels between them. And he was Leia's protege. But I feel like The Last Jedi pretty clearly showed that he has his own personality. Yeah. And I'd be kind of disappointed if he just became Leia.
0: Yeah. No, he needs to hold on to those core elements that made him Poe. And I certainly don't want to see him be this like angel of good conduct. Like, I still want to see him screw up and stuff from time to time. Because it's not like Leia was making perfect decisions every time <laughs> throughout the sequel trilogy, even. Uh-huh. Um, so, yeah, I still want him to see him be human and fallible, but obviously more mature and less inclined to silly risk-taking. Like, I want to see like the thought process behind his decisions, you know? Like rather than just seeing him like jump gung ho into cockpits and stuff. That does actually make me wonder, like, how much of a hands on leader will Poe be? Like, because I guess there'll be that tension between him wanting to be an active part of the struggle, but also recognising that leaders they can't always be involved because they're too important, you know? You can't put your life at risk in every single battle. Because if you go, that creates serious, serious problems. So, yeah, you need to have more care for your own welfare than, like, an average pilot would.
1: Yeah, and I think that was part of what he learned in The Last Jedi, like, what Leia says to him about Holdo, that she wasn't concerned about looking like a hero. Mm. Um, I think he might have learned that now, but it would just yeah. be interesting to see that in practice. Like, it's going to be weird to see Poe, who we've seen for so long as the man of action, like, strategize carefully and and then stay back and oversee things. <laughs> Mm. But it it will be cool to see that because that really speaks to his development as a character, which is something I hadn't anticipated based on The Force Awakens.
0: Yeah, exactly. He like became much more fully realized, I think, which I've really welcomed.
1: Uh huh.
0: Um. Yep. And then I have another point. We previously discussed how Poe may still have things left to learn. His speech about burning the first order down implies a focus on destruction rather than renewal do we anticipate seeing more of his character flaws in nine with him still having some lessons in leadership left to learn?
1: I think this comes back to what we were kind of just talking about in terms of his politics and what he's going to choose to stand for, because in act three of a story, we're going to have to start seeing them building something new. So right Mm. now, both the um, the resistance or rebellion, as I guess they might be calling themselves now and the first order are kind of in shambles. So it's, if you look at it in a positive sense, it's like, okay, we're going to rebuild. So what are we rebuilding? And are they just going to rebuild the new Republic 2.0? The new, new Republic? Oh no. (laughs) Um, I think there's going to have to be some examination of what the galaxy needs. So I would really like to see that from Poe.
0: Exactly. I think that's going to be a really important question. And one, I hope that we're going to see considered from both sides because yeah, if there is a time jump, especially if there's a time jump of several years, it's going to be like, well, what kind of new world is Kylo trying to create here? Because as things are left at the end of The Last Jedi, we get the impression that the First Order is pretty much in control. you know. So it's in control, so that's not what it's doing anymore. It should be about establishing governance and leadership. you know. And it's like, well, what does that look like? And then if Poe needs to present a legitimate alternative then he also needs to have a vision for what his like government would look like you know and like you say for obvious reasons it can't just be Republic 2.0 so yeah mm-hmm. there needs to be more thought given to it than that
1: yeah and with that kind of thing I do fully expect to have supplementary material um, because there's going to be a lot of specifics that people will probably still want greater clarity on but yes I'm sure all that stuff will be available, and we'll devour it. So exactly, um, coming soon so- to
0: a bookshop near you.
1: <laughs> Yeah, I've seen there was a sci-fi article the other day about like, should you have to rely on all of this extra material in in a story like Star Wars? Like, mm. should the movies speak for themselves? And I think they do speak for themselves, but because of the way they've set up it, so that everything is canon unless you have all these books where literally nothing happens or nothing of consequence you're going to have to have some stuff in there that is of substance and does have an effect on the stories yeah um so it's kind of the there are going to be these pros and cons to that approach yeah um, i think as long as there's like a little gist of them in the movies and then the people are aware that this stuff exists if they are interested yeah at the end of the day it's probably hard to fit everything that you need to into two and a half hours and that's a long movie so
0: yeah exactly it's so hard because yes i think star wars is something that makes people like positively ravenous and they want all these explanations and all these details and stuff and sometimes those things just don't work in a movie you know and they are better placed in extraneous materials but i think because stars mean so many different things to different people for what the filmmakers might consider extraneous and supplementary, that might be completely crucial and like story-changing to other people. You know, like all mm-hmm. this stuff about Snoke's backstory. We know now, having seen the reaction to The Last Jedi, that to a not-insubstantial cohort of fans, that is like the information they most wanted out of The Last Jedi. And obviously The Last Jedi had no interest whatsoever in giving them that information. So those people are, of course, going to be pissed that they didn't get that you know, and Mm -hmm. yeah, it's tricky because you can't please everyone unfortunately with this franchise it's the problem of becoming too popular really, because yeah, you're not any one thing, you're many many different things to many different people yep, right, then we'll cover Leia and yeah, the questions here a sad but necessary consideration how do we think the story will handle Carrie's passing (sighs) I know we've touched on this before, but it's worth, as part of this wider discussion, bringing it in, especially now we've had the movie and everything. So, yeah, do you have any particular ideas or preferences or thoughts, Kirsty?
1: Um, I would like to see some kind of memorial, maybe mm. at the beginning of the story. Yeah, uh, some people might consider that poor taste. I don't know, but I think mm. it could be really beautiful if handled well, obviously. Yeah. And I think it could set the tone. Um, I think it it depends on the kind of time jump they're going to do, right? But I think, like, I definitely do not want to see, like, Leia dying on screen in terms of, like, a ship being blown up or anything.
0: No. Please, no.
1: So, I feel like that's really the only way they could do it. Mm. Um, But, I don't know. It's not my story, so... There's probably all sorts of ways that I just haven't considered.
0: Yeah. I think it's a really horrible situation. So there's really no good way, to be honest, you know. But I think for me, like, the best way would perhaps be to have it explained in the opening crawl that she's passed, however that's happened. And then, like you say, to open with some kind of memorial to her. Because what I'd like to see is that even if Carrie cannot be physically present, which she obviously can't, then I'd still like that story to be about Leia in a not insubstantial way you know I wouldn't want it to just be a token thing where it's acknowledged and then brushed off and ignored for the rest of it exactly I'd like to see it maybe establish certain themes and that'd be really resonant and like a recurring thing throughout the film you know and I don't know, just having something like where at the end, like we get like a speech from like Ben, where he's like all emotional and he's acknowledging how much he loved his mother and acknowledging how much he loved him, you know, and how like he wants to like fight for her or something like that. You know, I know that sounds cheesy, and I'm obviously not writing this thing, but just that kind of sentiment, I think that could be really, really powerful, and I think that's a way of keeping the story like centered around her and her inspiration. That while still keeping it like nice and personal and respectful.
1: Yeah, exactly. Depending on who they have involved, if it's Poe and Ray, um, like you could even have the resistance holding this memorial between themselves, but because mm-hmm. of the force bond, you could have Ben experiencing it via Ray or something like that. Or yeah. they have a force bond moment later on where she challenges him and says, Well, why why do you care? or I know this is very fanficky. Again, we're kind of just talking about headcanons, and it can go very differently depending on how they choose to execute it. But they're going to have to acknowledge it in some way, basically. Yeah. Um, exactly. So,
0: and I think it's inevitable that, however it's handled, it's going to feel very, very real for the audience in a way that this kind of thing wouldn't normally, mm-hmm. because, yeah, like when Harris, when Han Solo died, it's not like Harrison Ford had died, you know. So it's obviously heartbreaking for fans of that character to see him go, especially under those circumstances. But you're not grieving for a real person. You're just grieving for a fictional character. Whereas when people watch episode nine, they will be grieving for Carrie Fisher because we're very fortunate in having that wonderful full performance from her in The Last Jedi. But that's not the case in episode nine. So that film will of necessity be about handling that grieving process, I think. Mm Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I think there's potential for that to be really powerful if we see all those characters grieving for her in their own ways and how that impacts them so I could see it becoming almost like a propaganda point you know like with Leia gone depending on the way in which it's managed and yeah we've kind of touched upon this but just in case we have anything else we want to add how will Leia continue to play a role be influential even in her absence or they use a totem of a sort to signify her presence as the dice symbolise ham. What do you think of that, Kirsty?
1: Um, I think potentially they could. And it could actually be really powerful if it's something that she owned that was formerly owned by one of the Organas or Padme or something like that mm. to really emphasise that family line. Yeah. What do you think?
0: Yeah, no, I'd definitely like to see something like that like brought into play. Because so I think that's a nice, tasteful way of keeping her present, you know. Like something that we've seen her use a lot in the sequel trilogy would be that ring of hers, mm, you know, with yeah. the two gemstones. Like that's kind of like become a symbol of her, and she wore it throughout the Force Awakens and the Last Jedi. It's not. It's a bit like the dice, and that is never really lingered lingered upon. But it is always there, and I think you could explain that and give it some kind of like little explanation, like it was the wedding ring or something like that. And that that would make it really, like, powerful. And people would look at that and they'd see Leia and think of Leia.
1: Mm-hmm. And,
0: yeah, I think that'd be lovely. And, yeah, I, I kind of think you have to have something like that. Because when you're dealing with the absence of the actual actress, it's helpful to have just something there. It's like this
1: pivot point. Mm -hmm. yeah it's the way that they did it with the dice which was very well done in my opinion like this quick visual motif that people immediately recognise
0: exactly I really liked that um yeah so then we just have a few closing questions and the first one is will there be a time jump if so how significant will it be so place your bets here (laughs) place your bets
1: um yes there's going to be a time jump I have no clue how long it's gonna be, I'm sorry. Because mm. a lot of this I think depends on what they're going to announce for the animated show, like whether that's gonna be set between eight and nine or if there's gonna be a later season of that show that's between eight and nine. Yeah. Which I definitely think they could do because we saw that with the Clone Wars, right? Yeah. Which is very successful and like really engages fans and has them wondering, well, what's happened in the meantime? Mm. Um so it could either it could just be like a few months. Or it could be two or three years. Mm. Like I, I'm really not sure. Sorry.
0: <laughs> yeah, I'd kind of be up for it being two or three years, just because I'd really want to see like what happened. So, like, I'd want to see it be one two or three years for several reasons. First one being, I'd like to leave open a nice window of storytelling for, like, say, an animated series and books and all that jazz. You know, and I think that would be a really good place in the timeline to have that so I think there's so much room for drama in that period it's unbelievable and I also think it would be interesting to return to all the characters when they are more settled and it's all less frantic because the events of The Force Awakens and The Last Jedi collectively they probably span the period of a single week <laughs> you know which is insane to think about all these huge seismic events and I think it would be nice to see how the effects of that very, very small window of time have ramifications years down the line, you know, and how like that tiny like period of history proves to be crucial and just the deciding factor in whatever happens in episode nine. Mm-hmm. I think that'd be really fascinating.
1: Yeah, the angsty shipper in me would also relish the concept of... <laughs> Ray and Kylo just like miserably pining for each other and not being able to talk to anyone about it for like two or three years.
0: Yes, please.
1: Wouldn't that be delicious?
0: Yes. So so delicious. And I'm just thinking about all the plot possibilities, like Kylo hunting the galaxy for Ray. It's like why is he hunting for her? To propose marriage. No. <laughs>
1: I don't know. He's tried that twice, and it didn't work out, so,
0: yeah, exactly. Well, maybe he thinks he has the patter down now and that he knows exactly how to win her over.
1: But yeah, he's still doesn't. supreme leader, probably not.
0: <laughs> but I thought girls loved galaxies. What's wrong with her? <laughs> oh, goodness, But yeah, for me, I prefer a time jump of a few years. I wouldn't want it to be outrageously long. Like I wouldn't want it to be like five or six years because then it's kind of like, I think people have probably become a bit fixed in their ways by that in their ways by that point.
1: <laughs> mm.
0: um, but yeah, like still significant.
1: Yeah, and I suppose if it's if it's uh, coming back to what we were just talking about with layer, if they have a couple of years, it means potentially you have a couple of years there where you can still have layer content.
0: Mm, exactly, which would be really really nice.
1: Mm.
0: Have that window. Then the next question: How did the resistance rebuild? And what is the nature level of its support?
1: Um, I, <laughs> I'm not sure because I don't know where they're going to get their money from.
0: <laughs> <laughs> I think Leia is going to have to be very charming.
1: The Republic is no more. Yes. And um, and yeah, the Outer Rim allies did not come. Mm. Um, I think either they're too scared by the First Order or yeah, they've they've decided. I don't know that to kind of give it. up. So it's possible yeah. that they're like working very stealthily in these little pockets around the galaxy, like maybe slowly building up support again, but Yeah. Yeah, I, don't I know. think that's
0: part of why I think we need to have a more substantial time jump because I don't think the resistance rebuilding could happen in like a few weeks or a few months. <laughs> right. I think it would take a long ass time for them to like get back a significant support base. And yeah, I think that would have to be some kind of combination of winning over old allies and trying to reach out to people who are opposed to the first order and trying to get them on board. So yeah, it would be a range of approaches. And I think there will also be substantial propaganda, particularly involving Ray and Finn. And I think that'd be interesting to see like the efforts to like suppress that propaganda from the First Order. Like because we could see that whole deleted scene where F- Finn's colleague reveals that he doesn't know about Finn's defection, like I think we could see that in a bigger way, where like the first order like pulling down posters <laughs> and stuff, <laughs> <laughs> like recruitment for the rebel for the resistance and stuff. But yeah, that's like my fan fiction at this point. But I definitely think it will be something that will be explored in tie-in materials. I don't really think it will be something that will be touched upon much in the movies themselves because to an extent you just need to go with it you know we can't get the ins and outs of all like the dinners to like woo people and convince them that the resistance is great you know so that's not fun or particularly interesting mm. but yeah we need to get some sense of how it happened but that will be in tie and stuff
1: yeah definitely
0: and then next question how strong is the first order's grip on power uh <laughs> i should maybe add under supreme leader kylo ren
1: right I think there's still going to be an absolute organizational chaos between Kylo and Hux. Yes. Or there's some kind of like internal cold civil war going on where they're both. Yeah. Ugh, even, well, I don't know. Like I, in my opinion, and I've said it plenty of times before, um, the movie and the novelization—not to get too spoilery—but that supports the reading I had of the movie that Hux wants to be supreme leader. Mm. Um so
0: i think i just actually read a passage in the novelization where it's like hux imagining how great
1: supreme leader hux would yeah he like almost says it out loud (laughs) while he's in the elevator and then he's like but there might be cameras here smoke could be listening what a loser
0: It's it's kind of like those girls who have a crush and they'll write like mrs smith like if their crush is like Tom Smith, you know, yeah. it's like their fantasy name for themselves. Uh-huh. Hux does that, but with a title. It's really sad.
1: Yeah. So, he he wants it, and I think he's still going to want it because what else does he have?
0: Yeah. I kind of do wonder how much actual power Kylo's going to have, because I do think that the military will answer to Hux for the most part, and obviously Kylo can throw Hux about and bully him. like in a very literal sense you can throw him about but like really how much is kylo going to have his will exercised and how much interest does he have in having his will exercised i think that's also an important question because he just kind of seems to like stumbled into the role of supreme leader without actually really wanting it because what he wanted was to do the whole whatever the hell the thing was with rey and that's obviously not happening So now he's kind of the supreme leader by accident. I'm not sure he wants to be that. So I I could actually see him just deferring to Hux a lot of things and just moping about a lot. But we'll see. Maybe it will be the making of him. Who knows?
1: Yeah, I mean, it can go in a lot of ways because I think they want to be careful and still not being like, oh, it was a great decision that Kylo became supreme leader. Uh, Yes. But they can play it up in either like, oh, he's disastrous or he's really good at being supreme leader, but that's part of the problem, and that's something yeah. that like Ray and Cole have to take down. Um, but yeah, I again, sorry, I know this is really boring. I don't have any answers. It's just fun to think about, and it's good fanfic material in the in the meantime.
0: Exactly. I think once
1: we, once we get like little tidbits, and they might start to trickle out, even though I know. Respectfully, a lot of people won't be following spoilers but we will and we'll be careful about covering them on the show um but we might get like little tidbits and whispers once they start filming like once we hear about what level of time jump there is i think we can start pinpointing things a bit more yeah so
0: precisely right and then the last question will we witness other awakenings in the force a la ray and Broomboy?
1: Uh, we might, but I don't think that's the point of the story. It could just be no. like side little bits. Yeah. Like, I don't I don't think that's the point of what we're we're seeing. Like I think The Force Awakens as a title and what we saw emphasized in The Last Jedi was that it's between Rey and Kylo and their darkness and light to meet it, you know, that's the balance. Yeah. So
0: Yeah, no, definitely. Like for me, my worst case scenario would be having like return to like the arena from Attack of the Clones. You get like, oh my God. a half Jedi charging at, like, assholes. Yeah, I don't see it's that like, happening. No, no, please, 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 no. So, yeah, I don't think that will happen. Um, and it shouldn't happen. But, yeah, I can see there being more awakenings and perhaps those people being attracted to the Resistance. Um, and I think that'd be cool. I think it could only be, like, a minor thing. And I wouldn't want that to be the focus of the story. Because, like you say, I think that takes away from the personal element and the character-based element but I think it could be an interesting supplementary part and then that could feed into whatever they do next, you know, after episode nine.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's it's good material for like future animation and stuff mm-hmm. like that. Yeah. Uh, but I don't think it would ever be the core focus of nine because we already have all of these characters who are very important, exactly. right? So Yeah. We remember... don't want to
0: introduce too many new randos.
1: Yeah, I remember when The Last Jedi, like all the casting stuff started coming out. I was like, wow, there's a lot of characters.
0: Yeah, I exactly. I'd I remember have... at one point they were talking about casting two young female characters that were new. So that would have been, I guess actually in retrospect, that was probably Paige and Rose. And maybe Paige was initially going to have more a meatier part. Mm-hmm. But yeah, that obviously changed. And to be honest, I think that's for the better because The Last Jedi is already stacked. And the last thing it needed was more significant characters
1: yeah definitely like i said before i feel like they do have to pare things back down in a way um to focus people on what it's really about but yeah who knows we could be proven wrong
0: exactly we will see um but yep i think that's a good place to end this and yep so i am rachel you can find me at stars nonsense on tumblr and at journal of the stars on wordpress where can people find you Kirsty?
1: i'm bastilla bay on tumblr and scavengers horde on twitter
0: Thank you so much for listening, and until next time, bye!
1: Bye!